to the book of Mark. We're going to be reading the first eight verses of Mark chapter 16 as we begin our study this morning. So if you'll stand with me, if you're able to stand, please do so. If, uh, if it's difficult for you, uh, that's fine. But we stand in honor of God's word. It's a tradition that we've received in the word of God uh, from Ezra the priest in the book of Nehemiah. Now, I, I just want to remind you that when Ezra did that, when the people stood to hear the word of God, what Ezra and the priests were reading were the book of Moses, the books of Moses, the five books of Moses, Genesis through Deuteronomy. That takes a little while. We're going to read eight verses. That ought to be a piece of cake for us to stand for that, right? <laughs> but we stand in honor of God's word. This is Mark's account of Resurrection Sunday morning. Now, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? But go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him, as he said to you. So they went and went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And Father, we pray today that as we look into your word this morning, as we celebrate, as we look, as we, as, as we understand, as our minds get wrapped around the truth that you were crucified, you as the Lamb of God were, were slain, our sins placed upon you. You died as that Lamb of God, that the sins of the world might be taken away as we place our faith and our trust in you. And Lord, as these women went to that tomb, they found it empty, even as you said. So Lord, have your way in our hearts today. Might we, might we be encouraged? Might we find life, those who may be here with us who've never committed their hearts to you, Lord, might they see you in a way that perhaps they've never seen you before, in reality for who you are in truth. And so, God, we just give this time to you. Have your way with us, in Jesus' name, amen. You guys may be seated. You know, in these verses, we see among them perhaps the most incredible, dynamic, powerful, and sweet words that have ever been uttered. He is risen. He's not here. 
But one of the things that I, I think is so important is what we see in verse 7. You know, the reality of what happened, yes. But as this angel speaks to these women, he tells them, go tell his disciples and Peter. Peter singled out specifically for obvious reasons. We just heard about it all in that song. Wasn't that a great song? Tell Peter, the disciples and Peter, that he is going before you in Galilee. There you'll see him as he said to you. So important, as he said to you. As Jesus had said, he would die. He would be crucified. As he said, he would be raised on the third day. He was indeed raised on the third day. And the angel tells them, now he told you beforehand, go and meet him in, in, in Galilee. As he said, he'll be there. He'll meet you there. You know, and we, we know, we understand that on at least three occasions, we have those three occasions given to us through the Gospels three different times by the synoptic Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Three different times they were told, at least three, it's documented that it was th three times, um, that he was going to do this. He told them that I'm, I'm going to be taken into custody. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be uh, in their hands. They're going to crucify me. They're, they're, they're going to kill me. But on the third day, I'm going to rise again. And, you know, what is it that they heard when he said that? I, I mean, let's face it. Now, we have the advantage of having some precedence knowing that Jesus did what he said was going to happen. He, he rose from the dead. But at the same time, these disciples, they were not left without precedence. There were people before them that were raised from the dead. Even as they walked with Jesus, they saw him on two occasions raise someone from the dead. It wasn't something that was foreign to them. And yet, for some reason, they didn't get it. Some reason they, they didn't understand, they, they didn't hear. I don't know why. I don't know why. But there are times when we hear things that can seem somewhat unbelievable, and the fact that even today, 2,000 years later plus, we can hear these things, and, and I think partly because it happened so long ago. I mean, two millennia, that's an awful long time. We can't even relate to that. In, such, in, in a place that's so far away, in, in Israel. Now, some of us who had the privilege and the blessing of having been able to go to Israel and see Israel, to go to Jerusalem, to visit an empty tomb from that era, to see Golgotha, to see the, the, the way that the, the stone on the side of Golgotha is carved in such a way that, you know, 2,000 years later, it's not quite as plain as it was in Jesus' day. But you can see, yeah, I can, I can see it could, how it could look like a skull, the place of the skull. Makes it more real to us. 
And if you ever get a chance to go, I encourage you to go. You know, before we ever got a chance to go to Jerusalem, my honey would tell me, oh, let's go, we, let, let's go. When we were at uh, Calvary Chapel, Chino Valley, ministering there before we came here to Upland, you know, let, we, let, let's go to Jerusalem. There's so much money, you know, and it's like, ah, I don't know. Ah. I used to tell her, you know, I, I think I'm just going to wait for the new Jerusalem because it's going to be better anyway. <laughs> I'm convinced of that. But, oh, I'm so glad that we went. First time we went, we took all of our kids. This was back in 1989. At that, at that time, it only cost a couple thousand dollars each to go. Uh, but I had to take out a $10,000 loan for us to go. Now, I would not advocate that you ought to take a loan to go on a trip like that. However, looking back, I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did. Oh, it's such a blessing. We've been seven or eight times after that to see it. But you know, these words, he is risen he is not here. He is alive. He's risen. The resurrection of Christ. Now Paul the Apostle writes of the resurrection of Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Would you turn there? Chapter 15 verse 1. Uh, this we know as the resurrection chapter. It's a long chapter. We're not going to read through the entire chapter. We're going to look at the first eight verses for a few minutes. And then we're going to go to the end of that passage, of that chapter, as we close this morning. As we see this 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, if we do look down at the 12th verse, I do want to point this out before we begin reading from verse 1. In verse 12, Paul writes, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of, among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Now, Paul is writing this letter to the church in Corinth. He had been there not too long before this, a, a couple, three years perhaps before he wrote this letter, but there were some within the church that he had established he went there preaching the gospel. They heard the gospel. Many responded, giving their hearts to Christ in faith, being saved from their sins, and the, the church was formed. But now some had risen among them within the church who were apparently saying, and this letter, 1 Corinthians, is a letter of correction. And so he's correcting what he's hearing, that some of them are believing that there is no such thing as resurrection from the dead. So he's writing this to show them their error, right? Chapter 15, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you. We know the gospel means good news which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, or you are delivered, or you are rescued. Those are words that can apply. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. 
Notice that, according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And that he was seen by Cephas, that's Peter. Then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. That is Paul's term for dying, dying in the flesh, dying physically, materially, but they were still alive. Because he also wrote to the Corinthians to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, right? After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. So as he's writing, he, he is giving proof because of the testimony of those who actually had seen him. Even as we heard in that song, which, which depicts the, the resurrection of Jesus from, from Peter's perspective. From Peter's perspective. He saw him. As, as, as the words of the song say, I, I, I saw them crucify them, and then I saw him die. But then he saw him alive. And so he proclaims he's alive. You know, and, and guys, this is something so important. There were, we have eyewitness accounts from people who saw him alive after he had been crucified. This is how we know history, from eyewitness accounts, from documents that are written by people who saw things, letters that are written, taking things from the letters, for example. You know, and, and that's how we know historically things that have happened in the past. In a court of law, eyewitness testimony bears a great deal of weight, doesn't it? Because the judge was not there, the jury was not there, there were some police officers there, perhaps. They give their account, and according to what is stated, along with forensic evidence that may be available, then a decision is made. But an eyewitness account is important. But there are those who, who believe today that we can't trust these eyewitness accounts. Why? Why? Do you believe things that other people tell you when, when you're not there? They say something happened. They were there. They saw it. We believe them because they were there and saw it. Peter was there and saw it. The other 11 apostles were there and saw it. Paul says that there was a group of 500 people at one time who saw him raised from the dead. And he goes on to say that, that the, most of them are still, still alive, and what he's saying is go ask them. Go talk to them. Eyewitness accounts. And then he, of course, refers to himself in verse 8. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. And, of course, he's speaking about his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. He speaks about, he writes about the gospel that was preached by him to these Corinthians. He says there in those first two verses, uh, the gospel which I preached, which you received, 
in which you stand, by which you are saved. You are given life. You have been delivered from your sin. You have been rescued from your sin. You have been made whole. That's the idea of being saved, being made whole. Not just physical life, but spiritual life as well. Being born again, as the Apostle John writes in John chapter 3. The essence of the gospel we see in verses 3 and 4. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's basically the gospel. You can go into more detail with that. Why did he have to die? Because, because he took the sins of the world upon himself. As John the Baptist introduced him to the people around him when he saw Jesus coming in, in, in the early part of the gospel of John, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That was his introduction. That's who he is. That was his mission. That's what he came to do. That's what he did. As difficult as it was, and, and the night before he was crucified, we see his prayer in, in, in John chapter 17. Well, actually, John 17 is his uh, uh, high priestly prayer, but in the following passage, in, in all of the Gospels, we see him praying to the Father, remove this cup from me, Father. But your will be done, not my own. Your will be done, not my own. Not that it was an easy thing to do, but we see, even as we talked about on Friday, when he was on that cross, there was darkness on the land for a three-hour period of time. Symbolic of the fact that the father had to turn his face away from his son for the first time in all past eternity. And I believe this is the reason, the main reason, the physical pain is one thing, but the pain of separation from his father while he bore the sin of the world upon himself, while he was made to be sin for us that we might be given the righteousness of God in him, as we see in 1 Corinthians 5.21. He had to turn away. The Father had to turn away. And Jesus was alone on that cross bearing the weight of the sin of the world. And he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that aloneness. That's what happened. As he died for our sins, of course, he was buried and he rose again. As the scriptures say, according to the scriptures. Psalm 22:15 says, My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. Psalm 22, written by King David about a thousand years before the event took place. Isaiah 53 Verses 8b to 9a, the last part of verse 8, the first part of verse 9. For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Zechariah 
By the way, Isaiah was written about 700 years plus before the crucifixion, burial, and resurrection of our Lord. Zechariah 13, 7, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. That's what we, that's what we saw. All of the apostles ran for fear of themselves being taken into custody and suffering the same fate as their Lord. It was only John who was there at the foot of cross with the women. It seems that the women had much more courage than the men. But he rose again according to the scriptures as well. Psalm 16, verses 10 and 11. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's where he was headed. After he was buried and he rose again, he walked on this, this earth for 40 days, and then he ascended to the right hand of the Father, where there are pleasures forevermore. In his presence is the fullness of joy. And every time we experience his presence, and we know we who, who follow him, we who belong to him, we who have received that, that life from above and, are, 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 uh, uh, and, and have the presence of God's spirit within us because of that, oh, what a joy. We can get distracted from that joy. We can get distracted from that reality because of life around us, right? And yet... As we're able to focus on him, as we remember, as we, as we look to him and, and basically are reminded, perhaps by reading the scriptures, perhaps with a conversation with, with another believer, a sister or brother in the Lord, or, or listening to a worship song or whatever it may be, reminded and that joy becomes very, very real once again. And in Jonah 1.17, we see the reality of, 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 of this being a type of, of what would hate take place with Jesus. And in verse 17 of that first chapter, now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, when, when Jesus was ministering, toward the end of his ministry, the, the, the scribes and Pharisees, chief priests, they asked for him for a sign. They said, give me a sign. That reminds me, give me some kind of sign, baby. Oop, my baby. You guys remember that song? <laughs> and tell me that you're mine. <laughs> oh, yeah. Anyway. Signs we like to see. But Jesus told them, the only sign you're going to see is the sign of Jonah. For even as he was in the, in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so I will be, or so the... Uh, uh, Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. It's real, guys. Uh, Paul goes through a list of post-resurrection sightings, if you will, of Jesus. And, and this is just a part of them. Uh, we, 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 we see that, that, that Mary Magdalene uh, saw him the first thing in the morning, the women returning from the tomb 
uh, with the angelic message. Of course, Peter, of course, uh, the, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus in, in Luke chapter 24, the same day. And at that night, his appearance to the disciples, Thomas was not with them, but a week later, on the first night of the week, he was with them and he appeared to them once again. There are a total of 11 appearances in the Bible uh, at the end of the Gospels, uh, uh, along with the book of Acts chapter 9 with Paul, of course, uh, and those appearances cited by the writers of the New Testament. And we've got to examine these evidences, guys. Even as a jury will examine the evidence presented in a court, there is evidence presented of the reality of the resurrection of Christ. Now, because it was so long ago, we don't have the forensic evidence but we have the first-hand accounts of people who saw him written for us. And we have accounts of others who've, who talk about it. Josephus, the, the uh, Jewish historian, writes of it. There are sources outside of the Bible that speak about the reality of the resurrection of Jesus because of the things that he heard. There are, are a number of people who, who sought out to disprove the Bible, in particular, to disprove the resurrection of Christ. And what happened with these men? They came to faith because they could not doubt the reality of the evidence presented. Amen. They came to faith. Uh, uh, Simon uh, Greenleaf, he, he died in the 19th century. He was a lawyer. He helped found Harvard College. He, was a he taught law there. Simon, Lee, uh, Simon Greenleaf School of Law. He's the one that presented the way in, 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 in the legal world, the way that you determine evidence to be true. And that method still is used in courts today. He understood things about evidence. Josh McDowell is another who has written dozens and dozens of books, uh, the, the foremost being Evidence That Demands a Verdict. We see Lee Strobel, The Case for Christ, right? Those books were written by men who sought out to disprove the resurrection, but they could not agree with what the, 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 the thought that they had to begin with, and they had to agree with the evidence that was presented, not only in the scriptures, but other things that they examined. And they had honest hearts and honest minds to receive testimony to receive the evidence at the end of this 15th chapter in verse 51 turn there oh we see such a glorious ending to this chapter he writes behold I tell you a mystery we shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed it sounds like what takes place in our nursery doesn't it the babies. We may not all sleep, but we will be changed. <laughs> in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. Why must it put on incorruption? Because we're going to a place that has no corruption so that we fit there, bodies fitted for eternity in the presence of God, right? 
And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory. I heard, I heard one person clapping. I think that deserves a, a, a real ovation, don't you? Amen. I mean, glory, hallelujah. You see, the thing is that not only did Jesus rise from the dead, but in rising from the dead, he proved that he would give us life as well. Everyone who's placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ is also going to experience our own physical, bodily resurrection someday. And I'll tell you what, I am so glad. You know, I, every morning I look in the mirror and thinking, I'm so glad I'm getting a new body. Actually, it happens before that. When I'm trying to get out of bed, I'm thinking, I'm so glad I'm getting a new body. That's what Jesus does for us. If we don't have Jesus, we don't get that. Plain and simple. Either we have eternal life or we don't have eternal life. But this truth reminds us of another passage that... that that Paul wrote to give encouragement to a group of people that lived in the city called Thessalonica because they had heard the gospel and, and they were believing that Jesus was going to return soon and there were some of their loved ones that were passing away, passing on, who had received Christ, but they were gone and they were wondering, what's going to happen to them? Are, going to, are they going to miss getting a new body because they've died? And so Paul writes to them to encourage them. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, we see these words. Paul writes, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Again, Paul's term for Christians who've died. Their bodies stop working, but they're still alive and with the Lord. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Who are the ones that have no hope? those who have no faith in Christ. We who have faith in Christ, we do sorrow, but not without hope. We have hope, don't we? And there are a number of people in this room who've said goodbye to loved ones. And I'm thinking in particular of those of you who've lost a spouse. A number in this room. And you guys would think that I know what I'm going through with my honey, with this disease that she has. And, you know, she's going to be going to see the Lord sometime soon. When, I mean, soon, I'm not saying like she's on her deathbed right now, I'm not saying. But in a matter of a few years, probably, if not before, I don't know. I just simply don't know. I'm so thankful for the hope of resurrection so thankful for the reality that I know 
One day, I myself, because of my faith in Jesus, I'm going to be standing with a brand new body, everything working much better than it does right now, fitted for heaven for eternity, standing, holding the hand of my honey as she's in the same kind of body. Oh, she needs a new body. I need one too, but not as desperately. Worshiping the Lord forever, serving him forever. I know in, in heaven there's no marriage and that. I, I get that. But I think there's going to be an understanding that that's okay. You know, right, right now we, want, we like to be all romantic and want to be married for, forever, you know. And, and the thing is, we will be married, but we're going to be married to Jesus as his bride. Right? Yes, as his bride. And everyone will understand that, and it's going to be good. But we've got over 50 years of memories together. And I don't think we're going to lose those good memories in heaven. The bad ones we'll lose, but the good ones we won't. So we have hope. We have hope today. Going on here in 1 Thessalonians 4, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring those with him. Well, excuse me, let me read that again. Even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Somehow God is going to reassemble their bodies their, their, their spirit, their soul will be joined to that body. They will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And what we read in 1 Corinthians 15 is going to take place. We're going to be quick and we're going to be changed. And thus, we, will, we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. The rapture as described both in 1 Corinthians 15 and in 1 Thessalonians 4 were given to bring comfort, to bring hope, to show the reality of, of the way things are going to be taking place. Now, all the details we don't know, it's, it's still a mystery to us, but God who raised Jesus from the dead is going to also raise us. And we are going to receive brand new bodies fitted for eternity in the presence of God. Let's close by considering a question that Jesus asked. In John chapter 11, verses 25 to 27, the, the background to this is that Jesus' friend Lazarus had died. Jesus arrives at the scene there in Bethany, uh, the, the hometown of Lazarus. Uh, his Lazarus's sisters, Mary and Martha, were there grieving. The, the, the town of Bethany was grieving. They were there at their house. Jesus arrives. Uh, Martha comes to Jesus first. They have a conversation, and then Jesus says in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me 
shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ or the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. I think every one of us need to answer that question. Do you believe this? You know, something that blesses me is the knowledge and understanding that I will never die. What that really means is, yes, my body is going to stop working. We call that death. Someday my body, I'm going to stop breathing. My heart's going to stop beating. There will be a memorial service. All that will take place at some point. Unless, of course, the rapture takes place first. That's what I'm praying for. That's what I'm praying for. Well, I would pray that the rapture would take place even before I finish this message. And I don't need to go home and minister to my, my honey in that body that she has now. And we'll be joined together in the air with Jesus with brand new bodies. What I mean, that's our hope. You believe this? You're not going to die? You believe you're not going to die? The expiration of a, of a physical body is not death. Death is separation from God. We get the two confused. Separation from God is what the Bible describes as death. If we die, not really dying, if our bodies stop working before Jesus returns, before the rapture, we're just simply falling asleep. But we are present with the Lord. Somehow we're present with the Lord. This passage in, in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians tells us that we get a brand new body at the time of the, at the, time of the rapture. For those who are with the Lord now, what kind of bodies do they have? I have no idea. I don't know if they even have a body. Somehow, though, there is a presence with the Lord because the Bible tells us if we've uh, uh, departed from our bodies, we are with Him. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But we will receive a brand new body. Do you believe this? If you believe this, if you believe this, you have life. If you're struggling with it, you don't. I would pray that everyone would leave from this place today with life from above. And Father, we pray that you'd have your way in our hearts. We pray, God, that you'd do your work in us. Lord, as we continue here, I would pray that you would Speak to the heart of every person that is here. And, and, and Lord, certainly there are at least a few who have not yet committed their hearts to you. Resisting, for some reason, your truth and what you did. I pray, God, that you would speak to their hearts and draw them to yourself even now. Draw them to acknowledge the reality of who you are, Jesus. What you have done for them. The power of the resurrection, which those of us who have placed our faith in you experience now, that they too can experience if they will bow their knee to you, Lord Jesus. And so, Lord, have your way. As our eyes are closed right now and our heads are bowed, 
I want to ask that question again. Do you believe? Have you never been able, if you've never been able to say that, yes, I believe, perhaps that today's that day. Today was the day of salvation for you, perhaps. The day of deliverance from sin. The day that you receive life from above. Spiritual life for which you will be fitted with a body to be with God forever because of what he has done for us. The resurrection of Christ is real and the resurrection of those who follow him is real as well. As I shared with you, I am so thankful for the hope of resurrection. And I want you to have that hope too. If that applies to you, I'd love to pray for you. Would you raise your hand right now? If you know you need Christ, you've never asked him to be the Lord of your life, your Savior, right now you may be experiencing a battle in your heart right now. That's very common. In our own hearts, we hesitate. But the best decision you'll ever make is to receive Christ as your Savior, to acknowledge Him for who He is and receive His life. Anyone? Now wait just a, just a moment longer as you're doing that battle in your hearts. Those of you who know the Lord, pray. I'm sure you are. Pray for those who are struggling in their hearts now. Even as Jesus battled in prayer the night before He was crucified, there's a battle going on right now for the souls of people. Anyone? Well, Father, no hands are being raised. We would hope that that means, God, that everyone here already knows you. But, Lord, if there's some who don't, would you continue to minister their hearts? Continue to minister their hearts through people around them who know you? Might they begin to ask questions based on what things that they're hearing today? And Lord, might your word lead every discussion. Might your truth be so. So Lord, we give ourselves to you. We thank you, Lord. We love you. Have your way with each one of us on this resurrection day. And, and those of us who know you, might the joy of your presence just fill us, fill this place, fill us the rest of this day. And Lord, might you be praised, honored, and glorified because Jesus, you today are alive. Thank you, Lord. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.